You know what will keep you warm in the great white north? A little true crime with your host, Megs and Jess. Hello, Canadian true crime fans. I'm your host, Jess, and this is my fabulous partner in crime, Megan. (laughs) Hello, my friend. How are you? Good. How are you? (laughs) Good. We just had some technical difficulties getting started, but... Just a wee little hiccup, but it's good. It's good. (laughs) And how is it already November? Like mid-November, right? Like... Well, you already have your Christmas decorations up, so... (laughs) How do you know? (laughs) I didn't even post it on social media. (laughs) She does, folks. She does. (laughs) That's okay. It's actually... Because it gets dark so fast, I think having pretty lights is quite lovely. I will put mine up in two weeks. I just can't do it before December. Well, I had a seven-year-old with a sweet little face, you know, begging me. So it's a little hard to say no. And I figure, what the hell? I mean, who, and she's like, who doesn't love Christmas lights? And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so they're up. They're up. I know. And it's weird because we don't even have snow right now in Edmonton. So oh, that's yeah. weird. Yeah. It's coming. We had trick-or-treating with no snow, which is quite lovely. <laughs> That's always nice. Although I remember a couple of Christmases ago when I flew back to Edmonton for for Christmas for the holidays, there was no snow. And Edmonton with no snow at Christmas is not very pretty. No, I need it. like, you need snow. Well, also, snow like, for Christmas. It's just dirty. But snow is so Christmas. I don't know. It's just so pretty at Christmas. I find it dirty, like, after, like, springtime. Oh, yeah. And then once they, I mean, we always have our street cleaners, and then once it's cleaned up and our summers are beautiful, but that spring is is gross. Well, here is, that's what it's like right now because all the leaves have fallen. Of course, everyone drives over them, so it's just created mush. But I just saw yeah. how they're finally going to street clean in my neighborhood. So there you go. I know. Well, it's a season. I also have to make a correction about a previous episode. I don't think I even told you this. <laughs> no. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. It's regarding episode four, the Starlight Tours. Mm. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a way back, right? So I made the mistake. You know me when I get talking, I get excited. And I said the Rough Riders were from Saskatoon. <laughs> and they most definitely are not. <laughs> They're from Regina. I could have told and... you that. I don't think I even noticed. <laughs> yes. Uh, my, I kind of, you know what? I think I kind of realized I did that after. But I got a message from a very lovely listener who just like, just cute, you know, told me, hey, by the way, wink, wink, you know, they're actually from Regina. I'm like, dang, yes, you're right. (laughs) I know because I went to school outside of Regina and they're obsessed with the the Rough Riders. (laughs) I know. And Rough Rider fans are serious. I mean, I was at a football game uh, last Friday. It was the Edmonton Elks versus the Rough Riders. And it was a great game. Um. It was such a warm night, which was actually awesome to be sitting at a football game. Yeah. And it was, it was lots of fun. I was actually very surprised by all the tailgating that was going on in the parking lot. I always thought that was more of like a thing you did in the U.S., right? At football games, because they take their football games very seriously. And, but I couldn't believe all the tailgating in the parking lot. Like people were committed. They had tents, they had barbecues. There was a band in the parking lot. And I have never seen that ever. That's so crazy. Yeah, they, it's, I mean, living so, in 
in yeah. LA Square, even for college games like UCLA. Yeah, they go. U, it's huge, USC. right? It was fun. Like it was a mm-hmm. totally fun vibe, and we just kind of got there right before the game, so we just kind of walked through it and went to our seats. But I don't know if that's something new or because I've never seen that before. I don't know about Canada, but it's very common in the States. It is. Yeah. And I mean, I haven't been to a game in a long time, so that's just, I wasn't sure. But, and the Rough Riders kicked our butts, but, (laughs) but hey, it was a good time. It was lots of fun. Back in September, we actually received an email from another listener. I think I talked to you about this, suggesting a case. This is a snippet of what the email said. I am writing to bring to your attention Stefano Savioli's unsolved homicide case from 2010 in Cortez Cortez Island, BC. I was wondering if you could take a look into it. It's baffling that nobody has been publicly identified 11 years later. And ended the email with, I'm a big fan of your work. Which is very sweet. Thank you, kind person. So I decided to start to look into this case. It's not been an easy one to actually research, but... This is the case that I decided to cover today, so let us begin. While we are not detectives nor journalists, we would like to thank the real professionals who worked on cases so we could research the information available and share the story with our audience. All victims deserve a voice. Listener discretion is advised. This episode talks about triggering topics such as murder. It is not recommended for young audiences. Today's episode is about the unsolved murder of Stefano Savioli. Stefano was 60 years old at the time of his murder, and he was a well-known artist on the island of Cortez in British Columbia. To describe him as a talent would truly be an understatement. He was an incredible artist who used very vivid colors, and he loved to portray his life on the island through his artwork. Have you ever heard of him? Mm Mm-mm. I don't, yeah. Have you seen any of you? So I guess you wouldn't have seen any of his artwork. No, I don't in this case. Well, I will share some of his his um, artwork on our Instagram page and our Facebook page because... I mean, he was truly an artist. His work is, is incredible. Stefano first immigrated to Canada from Italy in 1980. At that time, he brought his first wife, Danila, and their young son they had together, Cristiano. The marriage didn't last long, as that happens sometimes, <laughs> and they ended up divorcing. Danila moved back to Italy with their son, and Stefano dis- stayed on Cortez Island. He, you know, felt like he had found his slice of paradise, as you say. So Cortez Island has just over a thousand residents. Everyone like truly knows everybody. So I looked up it on Google Maps because I was trying to picture it. I've never been there. And it's between Vancouver Island and the BC mainland. And it's right across from Campbell River. Oh, okay. That makes sense now. Yeah. Have you been there? No, but I know Campbell River. Okay. I mean, if you look at pictures online, it's, it is absolutely beautiful. And so, I mean, I've been to Vancouver Island. I absolutely love it, but I imagine Cortez Island is somewhat the same. And of course, you can only access it by right plane or ferry. In the late 1990s, Stefano traveled to Cuba where he met and married his second wife, Abigail. She then moved to, she then moved with her young son, Samuel, and settled into married life with Stefano. 
he did a self-portrait of their wedding and it's absolutely stunning it's like a it's it's an amazing picture actually and Stefano was a wealthy artist he had inherited his family fortune and he was free to paint as he pleased he didn't need to sell his paintings for money you could often see him sitting and sketching under some big cedar trees in the village market. So to quote a National Post article, Stefano's, to Stefano, art was like a religion. He would never prostitute his art to make money. His friend, yeah, his friend said he recalled a time Stefano once turned away a Chicago billionaire who had come to Cortez Island to buy four of his paintings. Stefano ended up refusing to sell his artwork to the man because he did not like his energy. That's fair enough. Yeah, so he truly loved and respected his own art, which I think is very cool. He attended one of the country's most prestigious art programs, North Island College. His teacher, Mr. Scott, who taught him for over 25 years, said he was one of the best students he ever had. When he was even asked to paint in, like, black and white, you could still see his, like, colorful personality still show through his artwork. It was really cool. He was, And he was a little eccentric himself. He loved to dress in bright, vibrant colors, which would probably, which would match very well with the other artists and, you know, like hippies and retired folks mm -hmm. on the island, <laughs> <laughs> which kind of reminds me of Salt Spring Islands, Salt Spring Island. Even his wife, Abby, was named Queen of the Cortez Days and can be seen in local parades. So this sounds like a pretty, pretty good life to be living. On August 10th, 2010, it was a very smoky, it was very smoky on the island that evening. I mean, as we all know, unfortunately, BC has some pretty bad forest fires. Stefano called his son that evening back in Italy. He reminded his oldest son, he had reminded his oldest son to remember to have fun and enjoy life. Cristiano, his son, has said that he has very fond memories of coming to Cortez Island to visit his father as a kid, but their relationship was strained. I mean, it would be very hard to be an active parent halfway around the world. His son grew up in Italy and he was, you know, back in Canada on Cortez Island. After Stefano got off the phone, it is believed he crawled into bed and went to sleep. He was sleeping in one of the cabins on his sprawling property. So there was two cabins and an art studio. And his stepson and his friend were sleeping in the other cabin. That evening, while Stefano slept in his bed, he was brutally attacked and killed in cold blood. Even though the police have never confirmed how he died, it was released by, you know, of course, family and friends that he was murdered and stabbed to death. I mean, they even said that there was blood splatter on the rafters. Because it was it was kind of like a it was like a loft. So he was sleeping in the loft above. His wife, Abigail, was away at the time of the murder. She said that nothing was taken from their home. So the idea of a robbery seemed very unlikely. And especially in that area. And also, most robberies, they don't generally stab the person to death. It's usually like a, a crime of hate. Well, yeah. Where the property is located on the island, you would need to know the property as well to get there. Police blocked off the property, of course, immediately. They started their search. They even searched the surrounding water to see if the killer or killers threw away the murder weapon. Nearby neighbors said they didn't hear anything and nothing seemed unusual or out of the sorts. The RCMP, the RCMP said they have a theory and a person of interest, but won't release who that is. To this day, 11 years later. Wow. 
right? I thought that was very interesting. Stefano's property is is available. You can access the property by vehicle, but it's also accessible by boat. So there's two ways that somebody could have come in. And there are many theories about who's who did it. So let's dive in and discuss some of those theories. Also keeping in mind that everyone is innocent until proven guilty. First theory is that the attack was just random. Could there be someone, some deranged killer? I mean, we've there has been those stories. Somebody living on the island or somebody who was visiting. I don't know. This theory is not believed by many. The property, like I said, is very remote. And even people on the island said they feel like it had to have been someone that knew Stefano. Second theory is could someone have had a grudge against him? He had lived on the island for over 30 years. Now, when I watched interviews with, you know, other locals and neighbors, everyone really, you know, talked about him as being a kind and generous person. His one neighbor even said he, you know, could be private about his life at times. I mean, a lot of people are. But he said once Stefano had an extra ATV that he just gave to him. He said he could have easily sold it for a few thousand, but instead just gave it away because that's what he was like. There have been a few ex-girlfriends who have spoken out about Stefano after his murder as well. You know, one was named Carla. She moved to Cortez Island, actually, and lived there with him. Um, she was also from Italy. And she lived there for five years. She said her relationship with him was horrible. The relationship ended and then she moved back. And that was a long time ago. That would have been even before his second marriage. Another ex-girlfriend named Esther did admit that he could be controlling at times, but said she did have wonderful memories of him. I could not find any information about his first wife, Danila, besides it coming to an end, and she moved back to Italy. Stefano's relationship with his second wife, Abigail, is also a bit of a mystery. It's been said by others that she was completely devastated when Stefano was murdered. There are no interviews I could find of her talking about the murder. And she has since moved on with her life. Abigail did inherit all of Stefano's Canadian fortune and his property he was murdered on. But she never did return to the property, which, I mean, I don't blame her. I think it would be hard to go back there. So there is a, an excellent Fifth Estate documentary about this case. You can find it on YouTube. It's very well done. When one of the producers tried to talk to her about her husband's murder, she refused and showed how dis you could tell she was really upset about them even doing the documentary in the first place. And in, the, in it, they also mentioned how her current boyfriend showed his displease for the documentary and even threatened one of the producers to basically, like, leave it alone. We don't care. It's done with. That's pretty crummy. Like, and also doesn't, it's like, wouldn't you want to know who did that to your husband if you were so in love with him? And, it is you know. very unusual behavior. I'm not going to lie. I mean, people deal with things differently, but I mean, for, I would want, you know, I would want to murder anybody, a friend or especially a loved one, right? To be solved. Well, because you want closure too. Mm -hmm. So the person who discovered Stefano's body was his stepson, Samuel. And he would have only been 16 years old at the time of the murder. So remember, Samuel and his friend were sleeping next door in the other cabin um, the night of the murder. Their statement or details of what they heard or maybe saw have not been released. 
So it was confirmed Samuel did call the police at 8.34 a.m. on August 11th, so the next morning, when he discovered his Stefano's body. There was crime scene evidence found at the cabin Samuel and his friend were sleeping in. But we don't know what that, I have no idea what that was or what was found. And that really leaves it wide open. I mean, could have been a, you know, I mean, could have been a bloody shoe print from the killer. You know, just walking by the cabin. I have no idea. It's truly all speculation. So, I mean, I don't know. The grudge theory, I feel like, is a very good possibility. The last theory that I've heard is that Stefano's murder was a hit job by the Italian mafia. Stefano was born in Italy and his father was a very and his father was very wealthy. He was a property developer as well as owned hotels and discos. Some have wondered if that wealth had ties to the mafia. Because I was going to say, he's living there on quite a nice lifestyle without having to sell paintings in order to live. Hmm. Yeah, right? The theory is some Italian assassins came in, used a boat to access the property. One person who strongly disputes this theory is Stefano's son, Cristiano. And remember, he also has lived in Italy his whole life. He calls the story all bullshit. He claims his father was actually planning on moving back to Italy. And if he was scared of the mafia, he wouldn't be doing that. Which makes sense, right? I mean, if you truly were had ties to the mafia and I mean you anybody would be concerned about that, you wouldn't want to you wouldn't be moving back. And there's been there hasn't been any evidence to back up that story or that I know of. I don't know. I mean, this story was a hard one to research. There was not much information, and it seems like the RCMP, any information that they do have, they are not releasing it, and they're keeping it maybe to protect the case. Yeah, especially after 11 years, you think they'd kind of want to let go of some, you know, pertinent information that could help solve the case, but it's always interesting how, I mean, you don't know their, mm-hmm. the method to their madness, but... Well, in this case, really hasn't been covered by anybody else, so I thought... Even though it's it was really hard to get the I mean, this is basically all the information I could gather. It's also, you know, it's it's one that I mean, I would hope to see solved and bring to light. Cristiano, his son, is offering a $10,000 reward to help solve his father's murder. The website set up is www.stefanosaviolicase.com. If you or someone you know has any information, of course, please call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS. <laughs> I feel like everybody knows that number, right? <laughs> I really hope this case gets solved. I mean, my gut feeling is someone who knew him murdered him. Well, generally it's a stabbing, too. That seems to be, out of all the cases, it's generally, especially if they've been stabbed multiple, multiple times, that's usually you know, someone that knows you because it's like a hate crime Mm -hmm. type thing. Yeah. It it would be very interesting to see this, this case solved. There's, there was a few news articles that I read that said like it was in 2019 saying like they had a lead suspect and, you know, they might be closing in on the case, but then it's like nothing. So I don't know. It's a, it's a baffling one for sure please go to our Instagram page at True Crimes Great White North to see pictures of each episode we post and everything true crime related. We are also on Facebook. 
if you want to discuss a case or bring a case to our attention like this listener did, please email us at truecrimesgwn at gmail.com. Please also don't forget to hit like and follow us on our Instagram page as a way of supporting us. Your support means the world to us. It's the only way to keep our little podcast going. Thank you for listening. Thanks on that story, Jess. Bye for now. Bye. You remember saying to your dad? He called me at about uh, 9 o'clock. This was the night he died? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he said to me, Cristiano, please, do me a favor. Start to enjoy life. It's time to to have fun, something like that. And that's the last thing he pretty much said to you? Yeah.